Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. We're in a new series and uh, today we are going to be looking at the absolute classic Porridge with Ronnie Barker, of course. My name is Alan. I am here with Gareth. Hello. It's so good to be back. It's been so long since we Yay. did this. Yes, and what what a one what what a show to start with as well. We I mean yeah. we like to go with a classic for to open our series, don't we? Yeah, I mean before we get into this, uh, regular listeners will know what tends to happen when we do these is that you will watch every show that was ever made of of the series we're covering, and I'll watch two or three episodes. Uh, and mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case with this one. I, I started watching Porridge, and I ended up watching all of them. I you know tipping my hand here, but I loved it. I really enjoyed watching the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think I'm giving much away. I think we've talked about this on the show before, but Porridge is definitely one of my favourites all-time kind mm-hmm. of sitcoms. So, yeah, um, poss- possibly slightly biased <laughs> going into this, but not, but biased because it's great. Uh, yeah, I, don't I don't think that counts think... as bias. It's not like we're... It's not a court of law <laughs> where I know the defendant. <laughs> it is. I think it is objectively an excellent sitcom, yeah. and obviously that's borne out by its reputation it's and a classical reception. A yeah, so... Let's have a have a look at the uh, basic details. Porridge began life as a pilot, mm-hmm. as part of uh, a series called Seven of One, which was a series of seven pilots for sitcoms with Ronnie Barker as the star of each one. And so Ronnie Barker, okay, so Ronnie Barker was in all of them. And did did yes. any of the others uh, make any mark? Yes. Uh, so basically, the, and this isn't the first time we've seen an anthology of pilots like this. Uh, mm. We've seen that sort of thing before. Ronnie Barker done a, a few things on 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 this level. Um, what else have we seen? Um, Steve Coogan did one, didn't he? He he, yeah. he did a we talked Coogan's, Coogan's run. run. We talked Peter, about Peter that K, Peter yeah. Kay thing. Yeah. yeah. So this is the sort of thing they do. It's a it's a pilot season wrapped around a star. But we also talked about. Comedy Playhouse back in the day, mm-hmm. where yeah. they you know the BBC would produce short comedy dramas, and Steptoe and Some became one of those, didn't they? Mm, yeah. or, or came from one of those. Rather. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's my first Steptoe. That's my first Steptoe reference. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, let's start. T- <laughs> you can take that off your bingo card, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you got a star uh, of the size of Ronnie Barker. You can build an entire series around him. He's got the chops to do that. Like a Peter Kay, you know, he's got a Steve yeah. Coogan. You've got to be able to play lots of different types of characters. But this is a, a series of pilots written for him. It was called Seven of One because it was originally going to be called Six of One, and then they were going to do another one called Half a Dozen of the Other. No, oh, nice. But then they ended up putting Seven in, so they called it Seven of One. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't really work. So that was in 1973, and that Seven of One also brought us the pilot for Open All Hours. Ah, right, okay. So, so that's at the same time. Yes, I know they were. Yes. They ran concurrently, didn't they? A uh, series. Yeah. Yes. Open All Hours was a bit more sporadic, but we'll, we'll, I think mm. I'll, that'll come up a little bit later on. So, right. but yes, this was a pilot uh, called Prisoner and Escort, and in fact, uh, you know, it was written by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, and they wrote mm. another pilot uh, within that group as well. And uh, you know, after the success of the show, they were trying to figure out which one they wanted to turn into a, into a full sitcom, and they went with Prisoner and Escort. Can we talk a little bit about the pilot? Because I watched that mm. and, and about how it differs from the series. Yeah, I think it's its inception came from Ronnie Barker. He said, um, mm. hey guys, I'd, I've always thought it'd be a great idea to do a sitcom in a prison. And that I think that was the sort of inspiration point. Yeah. Um, and they, Dick Clementine and Lafrenet, the writers, had just, the year before, done a show called Thick as Thieves with Bob Hoskins. Right. I don't remember that. 
it was about Bob Hoskins coming out of prison. So they'd just done the show about someone coming out of prison and kind of having uh-huh. to adjust to life. So they were a bit like, oh, we don't want to do a prison since uh, <laughs> I've kind of just done that. So I think they pretty much went to the opposite end. So let's do someone going into prison rather than yes. coming out. Let's let's yes. get that. But yeah, what's very interesting, if you're thinking in terms of, and this wasn't a standalone thing, they were writing it in terms of, and it, this could become a sitcom. Yeah, This could have legs. Like they were writing with that in mind. I would describe it as an origin story rather than a pilot. Yeah, it's, it feels more like a prequel, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's a sitcom that is not set in the situation that the sitcom is set. No. Uh, and you're only so. So if, if, if listeners haven't seen it, it's basically Fletch, Ronnie Barker, and the two prison officers that we come to know, Barraclough and Mackay. It's just the three of them on, on a train. They're taking him, they're escorting the prisoner to prison. Yeah, and then obviously he's manages to get up to some hijinks on the way but yeah i mean it sets up those three characters and the dynamic beautifully it's um and it's those are the characters that we see they pretty much unchanged yeah. as they get into the series but so much more that happens in the series and really crucially the character of godber which feels like such an, a, a, yeah. a fundamental part of the show but also it's in a prison that's such that's such a structural point and we're seeing him outside of that straight away i think yeah. that's very yeah. Is brave is it brave or they didn't want to tackle the actual prison <laughs> yeah <I laughs> maybe think, it was literally that's a bit of a pain to i think you're applying to hindsight to it there you know they were making yeah. yes it was hopefully we we're going to turn into something but they were just making a one-off drama so they obviously didn't want to go to all that trouble just for a half hour pipe. yeah and ronnie barker when he sort of thought of a prison prison sitcom he'd been thinking a little bit more what you would think ronnie barker if you think of what ronnie barker's writing style is a much more kind of overt comedy. He was talking about like, oh, they're sneaking girls over the fence and stuff like right, that. Okay. It's like proper comedic yeah. old school comedy. And and obviously Clement and Lafrenet, they went with much more serious style and mm-hmm. Ronnie Barker completely embraced that. He, he liked that. But uh, that might be a good chance to talk about Ronnie Barker because let's talk about where mm-hmm. he came from because I do think he is a lot more old school. Yeah, and okay. Certainly in terms of his humor and the writing, if you think about what he did with the two Ronnies and all, all this sort of stuff, I know he didn't write all of that, but he wrote a lot of stuff for them. A lot of wordplay, a lot of kind of puns and entendre and stuff uh-huh. like that. Not not physical comedy exactly, but uh, but overt comedy. Whereas Clement and Lafrenet are very much rooted in reality. So we've obviously talked about Ronnie Corbett before when we did Sorry. Yeah, so uh, we we talked a lot about Ronnie Corbett, and and it was it, it was really good to talk about him as um, as a performer. And he never really mm-hmm. wrote much, but he was a great. You know, his timing was excellent. He was just a consummate performer. Mm-hmm. With Ronnie Barker, yeah, he does. He is more creative in terms of writing as well. But how were their backgrounds similar and, and different? Well, you know what I heard. Obviously, they. I don't think it's where they met, but they certainly got to know each other and worked together on um, uh, with David Frost. And the Frost Report. Uh, yeah, and working with John Cleese uh, on that. Obviously, the famous, yeah. the very famous sketch that I they do. But uh, that's where they st- really worked together for the first time. And, you know, they're in that Oxbridge set mm-hmm. and they connected because they weren't the Oxbridge types. And I think they kind of connected sure. on that. They felt more connected to each other on that one. But... Uh, like Ronnie Corbett had come through the cabaret scene and and stage acting and all that sort mm. of, but specifically comedy. Ronnie Barker had also done a sort of fairly typical acting thing, you know, started doing amateur dramatics while working as a bank clerk and then decided to get into rep and all this sort of thing. Found himself moving into comedy quite quickly just because I think he responded to that more. But 
and this is you'll hear anyone talking about porridge specifically but i think this goes for the likes of open all hours as well uh ronnie buck was an excellent actor yeah comedy yeah. aside and yes his timing is perfect and all this sort of thing but he was just a really good actor and apparently mm-hmm. he could re- he was very good at just embodying himself in a role yeah. even if it was just a sketch two minute sketch he would come in and he would be in that character for that yeah. time and then he would step away and he'd be out of it well if you think about Fle- you know these two huge roles at this time fletcher and arkwright from mm. open all hours you know the characters are completely different yeah. c- completely different people but but he's perfect in both roles yeah. You know, he is, he, you know, like when we talked about um, uh, Ronnie Corbett, you know, he's, he's kind of playing a version of himself, you know, an extreme version of himself. And, and a lot of comic actors, that's sort of what they do. They end up in roles that are written for them. And it's, you know, it's, it's playing to their strengths. Mm. But, you know, Barker, yeah, I agree. Barker's really versatile. Yeah. And I think that's one of his real strengths. And I, from what I've been reading about him, I've been reading his autobiography uh, or authorized biography, and he he very much was uncomfortable being himself in public. Uh, he didn't want to be Ronnie Barker. Mm. He he found he obviously found great comfort in being a character to the point where you know, and the, the famous thing with the two Ronnies is they do the intro bits. They did it in character as the newsreader bits. Yes. Because he wasn't comfortable just coming out and going, oh, hello, we're just going to do a bit of intro. Like I, I don't feel like, like when I was growing up, you know, the two Ronnies was, was, was huge. And obviously Porridge and Open All Hours were, you know, Ronnie Barker was a big star. I, I don't know Ronnie Barker. I, I can't mm. remember ever seeing Ronnie Barker. Yeah, and I think you know that's that's how he liked it. And and, and an easy comparison to Ronnie Corbett, who has always yeah. been, oh yeah, he'll present something. Oh yeah, I do a little celebrity cameo mm-hmm. here, you know, like just yeah, doing golf being Ronnie Corbett. Yeah, yeah, and Ronnie Barker retired and uh, opened an antique shop. You know, that's <laughs> he just he just got out of it. I remember him retiring actually. I, I, what, do you know what year that was? I remember that being a thing. Oh, Ronnie Barker's announced his retirement. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Yeah. So they they finished the two rounds. That, wasn't, and then that wasn't really a thing that people. Well, it still isn't. Like you don't ever yeah, hear a comedian it, saying, "Right, I'm retiring now. Thank you very much." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he wasn't like old, old. <laughs> he was in his late fifties, I think. Mm. Uh, something along those lines. He wasn't quite 60. And Ronnie Corbett, you know, 20 years later, he was still working. I read somewhere that he just felt like he'd, he didn't, he didn't have the, the juices anymore, the creativity anymore. He couldn't, he felt like he wasn't keeping up with what he wanted to, to achieve. So he decided to walk away from it, which is interesting. And, and we'll see that in a a little bit later on when we're talking about porridge uh, as well and see how that plays into that. But yeah, let's just do a bit more Ronnie Barker biography here. So he was just worked his way up, you know, rep, getting into better roles, uh, eventually getting into the West End. I saw in his biography, he was talking about like, oh, I'm so lucky that I met this person and they wanted to use me. And then they and then I met David Frost and they were and kind of really phrasing it as like, oh, I was very lucky that I met these this person at the right time. He's like, yeah, but. Then they worked with you again because you were mm. good. Then they offered you that job because you were an amazing actor. You know, it's not, you know, obviously he's being quite yeah. humble. Yeah. But yeah, uh, he was a regular in the Navy Lark, you know, the radio mm-hmm. sitcom. He just, yeah. because he can just do so many different characters, uh, working on stage, West End stuff, um, more TV appearances, just here and there. He was in a, a film that was written by Galton Simpson called uh, The Bar G, which was a Harry H. Corbett. Okay. vehicle about basically confessions of a bargee <laughs> and ronnie barker was like the mate the friend the you know he was a quite right. a principal supporting role in that it's just sorry, sorry do you when you say a bargee are you talking about someone who is on a barge 
Yes, yes. Not an onion bhaji. <laughs> yes. That would be a Peter Sellers thing, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Smack <laughs> Milligan would have loved that. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 pl- they're cousins and they're running a barge up and down the canals, you know, towing cargo. And, and he's got a lit woman in every port or whatever it was. So, yeah, then, so joins the Frost Report in 66. And that was the big break, really. Right. David Frost set up his own production company, went over to helped setting up LWT uh, over on ITV, took the yeah. took the two Ronnies with him, kind of signed mm-hmm. them onto his contracts. So then they started getting their own work out of that. And they were always very keen to not be seen as a, just a double act. They always wanted yeah. to have their own things going and had that written, yeah. written into their contracts. So then when LWT dumped Frost, the kind of the t- they dumped the two Ronnies as well, kind of by proxy. And so Why did that's they dump where- Frost? Is there a story behind that? Uh, I didn't look into it too much, but it was okay. just, I think it was just normal run of business, really. Uh, obviously, he carried on doing very well after that. But that was what impelled Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie Barker to go back to the BBC and present them with a mm-hmm. sketch show with the two of them called The Two Ronnies. The Two Ronnies ran from 1971 to ultimately 1987. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'd probably say their heyday was the 70s. By the late 80s, they were... I think they were a bit dated out, but they were still yeah, very maybe, popular. But they were very popular. They weren't, they were, they weren't the was, cutting edge of alternative comedy, let's say. When I was a kid, I used to, you know, Sunday Night Entertainment was a big, you know, shiny floor show, lots of sketches, lot, you know, a bit of money spent on it. And it was, you know, it was oh, yeah. prime time. So they might not have been cool, but they were certainly very popular. And, I, you know, even after 1987, I remember for, for several years, they would do compilation shows and repeats. And they were mm. still, you know, they were mm. still present. Oh, definitely. I mean, they they did the two Ronnies sketchbook, did they call it? Where they, you know, in this is yeah. in early two thousand two thousand seven, yeah. but not not long before Ronnie Barker died. You know, they got him out of retirement to do a, to do you know the classic sketches. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I mean, look, the, the the two Ronnies were always very popular. They never sort of fell out. But yeah, I'm just saying they weren't you know alternative comedy coming through in the eighties. They weren't part of that. Yeah. Uh, then it was, and I think we talked about this when we dealt with Ronnie Corbett. They were respected by that group. They were not yes. seen as like the fuddy duddies. Mm. Anyway, um, you know, Ronnie Barker was very involved with the two Ronnies, not just in the writing, but in the editing. And he was very involved really? in the production style. Yeah. And he, he was a bit of a perfectionist with it all, I think, or, or liked to be in control of it. Yes. Without being sort of obsessively controlling. But that's in contrast with Ronnie Corbett, who turned up and did his stuff and was happy with that, was a performer. I think there's definitely more with that with Ronnie Corbett. I don't mean that to be dismissive of Ronnie Corbett. Yeah, yeah. It was excellent what he did, but that was what he did. Yeah. But Ronnie Barker was also very able to go, okay, this is great. I don't need to get involved. And I think that's very specific Mm -hmm. with Porridge. Like I said, it wasn't particularly the thing he'd envisioned when he said, oh, let's do Mm -hmm. a sitcom in a prison. But he recognized that that writing was good. It was a yeah. different style to what he was thinking, but it was great. And so he did it and he did it. Yeah. And and from what I've heard, they would, he would drop in the odd line during rehearsals, you know, just mm. off the cuff and see if it worked. And generally speaking, obviously he, he's a good writer. So it would, it would get a laugh yeah. and they would go, yeah, keep that in. But generally speaking, it was all Clement and, and Lafrenet's writing and he knew yeah. that that was good. And so he didn't need to mess with it. And I think that's Ronnie Barker, from everything I've read about him, you know, no one's got a bad word to say about him. I think we said the same thing about Ronnie Corbett. Um, yeah. And, you well, know, completely but, but, you professional. Know, it, you shouldn't, you shouldn't yeah. brush across that because, that, you know, that, that speaks volumes, really, doesn't it? To have a yeah. career that long and for basically, you know, to be beloved and just um, appreciated by everybody in the industry is, is no mean feat, really. Let, let's take this opportunity to jump into our episode. Right? We, yeah, okay. What we've decided to do was pick 
um, it's it's the first episode of the second series. Mm. And what's the name of the episode? Just Desserts. Just Desserts, yes. So um, the, the basic plot of this episode is it revolves around a, a stolen tin of pineapple chunks. And mm. it's been stolen from the kitchen and then it's been stolen from Fletcher's cell. And uh, there's lots of uh, suspicion and recrimination and hijinks. So that's the, that's the gist of the episode. But obviously, if we're jumping into the episode, we're going to have to start with those opening credits. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they are quite unusual. Very unusual. And it's, it's one of those where you kind of, it's, it's familiar. Mm. But but it, yeah, it's still even now it's 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 out of the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. There's no music. We get um we get a series of documentary shots of sort of going into a prison and doors mm. being closed and it could be a, it could be a fly on the wall documentary about prison. My first thought was Seven Up actually. Well, you know when they're sort of like yeah. when they do the little compilation clips at the beginning when the new the new series starts. That would have been a much better title than Seven Seven of One, by the way. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's stark, it's foreboding, and it I think it, it's evoking deliberately the feel of walking into a prison and being mm. walked into a prison. Yeah, it's not uplifting. It's certainly not uplifting. It's not suggesting comedy at all, and I think that's deliberate. It's it's kind of saying, mm. look, this is a comedy, but it ain't going to be a gag fest. It's this yeah. is a bit more grounded, and obviously we have the voiceover of the judge sentencing. Fletcher, so quite a nice little chunk of exposition there, saying, "Oh, yeah. like you're an old hand at this, and you're doing five years." You're, yeah, you know, and of course that's Ronnie Barker's voice. Is Ronnie Barker doing that voiceover? It as, is, as a, yes, as a different character. Yes, and and noticeably him as well, which I think mm-hmm. is perhaps bit of a like problem. <laughs> uh, it's it is what it is. I think, I, but Ronnie Barker himself has said he's kind of regretted that because you can tell it's him. Yeah, you are an habitual criminal who accepts arrest as an occupational hazard. And presumably accept imprisonment in the same casual manner. Yeah, the, the credits change slightly in the second series. They um, they put a bit of an echo on the voiceover and um, I didn't just, notice just, just fudge eye. it slightly to give it a little bit more structure. Should we talk a little bit about the set and how it's filmed? Because we're mm-hmm. talking there about the opening credits, but even within the drama... We've got a couple of sets. We've got the landing where all the cons hang out together. We've got the cell, Fletch mm-hmm. and Gobba's cell. We have the kitchen. So we've got standard sets. We've got standard mm-hmm. sitcom sets. But then there are a lot of what look like real prison shots, sort of external yeah. cells, people walking around walkways and down, up and down stairs, that sort of thing. So yeah. was that, where was that filmed? It was filmed in a, a water tank in Ealing, I think. So not in a real prison then? So they built no, the it's, it, it was a huge water tank where you would fill it with water to do, you know, filming stuff that's in water. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's just a big empty space, basically. And so they had the depth so that they could build a gantry and a, a balcony, like okay. a second floor balcony. Yeah, I mean, it's really effective, isn't it? It's great. I, I, thought, I, I thought it was a real prison. I thought they, you know, hired a prison for the week or something. No, and all the exterior shots where they're like in the gardens or just around, they, you know, they just found an imposing looking building sure. that had some bars on the windows. They didn't, they weren't prisons. Right. The openings scene where you see the doors of Slade Prison, that mm. is a prison. And when they, they did the film version, which we'll get to later on, that was filmed mm. in a real prison that was being okay. renovated at the time. Okay. So, it was, so it was available. But yeah, the sets are great. Uh, I think uh, perhaps an advantage of doing a prison set thing is that you can be fairly simple with the sets you don't need a yeah. lot of decoration it's just Not sort of, of here's a brick um, wall yeah 
Yeah. Not like when we watched uh, when I watched Filthy Rich and Cat Flap and the detail on all the all the house decor was incredible. None of that in porridge. Yeah, exactly. You can keep it fairly stripped and stranded, I guess. That's that's the a benefit of it. But not to it still evokes that space. And when you do when we do get the landing scenes, it feels like there's a real depth to that that place. It doesn't feel like there's a backdrop up the back somewhere. Yeah. Which... Do you remember when we when we watched To the Man Born and we, we yeah. there was a very obviously a painted set behind them? Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't get it that. Feels, it feels real. Verisimilitude. It's got verisimilitude. That's a word. That's a £2.50 mm. word that I read recently. <laughs> and not just in the set design, obviously, in terms of the general vibe of it. Uh, the show was very popular with prisoners. Really? Uh, they, they felt like it really evoked the relationships like between prisoners and guards. That kind yeah. of like Fletch and Mackay, that, that just little bit of competitive nature between them, like little yeah. victories, all that. Yeah. And I think that speaks to, yeah, a, a sense of reality. Because mm-hmm. if you're in prison and you're watching a show set in prison, you're going to see everything that's wrong, aren't you? Well, let's go to our opening scene there. So as you say, we got the opening sequence, which gives us the, the exposition for the series. Mm-hmm. Here's Fletcher in prison. And the, the opening scene is just Fletcher in the cell. And he's obviously searching for something. He's looking around. He's lifting up pillows. He's looking in mm-hmm. cupboards, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out to the landing to talk to everyone else. But the, that, that was an interesting little... A uh, bit of scene setting because in a sense you don't really need that the next scene is the exposition where he tells mm. everybody we've got a thief etc we'll come to that but but you just get this sort of 30 seconds of business of ronnie barker mm-hmm. looking for something yeah you're just building this the world and i think it shows a great deal of confidence in ronnie barker that mm. not only can he hold that and you know the audience are going to watch him he's watchable because yeah. he's not he's not making gags it's not like he's, he's not, doing something no lines. there's no dialogue you know, they have the confidence that he can hold the audience, but also that something, it seems strange but from an acting point of view, something as simple as, right, search around, look around like you're looking for something. Like you can yeah. do that so badly. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you're yeah. like, it's, so, you know, obviously he's, he's got the talent to do that. But yeah, you're right. And then he just comes out and then th- that scene could start with him coming out, storming out going, oi, who's had my pineapple chunks? Yeah, which is, which is what happens next. So he comes down into the, down to the landing and he announces to the other uh, Nurks. <laughs> Interesting. I'd never heard that word before. They often, he often used that word to describe the cons. Nurks. Does, well, that, does a, that mean anything? That word? No. I mean, it's 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 language that was created for the show. Basically, that you know they used mm. the word nurk. Naf is a you know basically in place of the f word. Uh, yeah. I mean, for obvious reasons, you can't have prisoners swearing like. Well, like prisoners on on a primetime sitcom. But yeah, it, it is interesting. Like nothing heck is, is mm. something that uh, god says a few times nothing heck like no human being has ever said that in real life <laughs> well i think it, it works beautifully because it doesn't feel like they're modifying their language it just feels like they're using swear words H- hang on hang on a sec hang on are you telling me that this sitcom invented the naff uh, in in this sense not like it, naff as because in a bit there was crap a princess is, anne is famously told journalists to naff off like that was that was as as angry as the royal family ever got. In that uh, terms, I, yeah. I don't know when that was. Naff meant you know something that was a bit crap. You know, this yeah. is a bit naff. Okay. But to use it in the sense of naff off, naffing act, like in exchange of the f word, basically. That's that was this that was porridge. Yeah. Well, and I didn't n- know that. Nurk as well, which I think is basically it's just a general insult. Yeah, you little nurk. And scrote, that's another one. To sort of guess where that came from, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah it, it it doesn't feel like it feels like they're swearing, 
but it's just swear words that you're not particularly familiar with. It's just a slightly different culture that you, you know, and you just take it for granted after a while. So yeah, as we get as we get this establishing scene in, on the landing, we get a big chunk of our supporting characters, and yeah, I, I, and this is great because this this it's odd that a, a prison a prison drama, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we spend a lot of time in a cell, and Fletcher and Gobber are main characters, and we have the, obviously the prison officers, we have uh, Mackay and Barraclough, and that's our main four, but we have a great supporting cast through the throughout the series. There are lots lots of other prisoners that come in, and and some of them only for one episode, some of them. Mm semi-regularly but there's there's real personalities there yeah what i really like about this is that the first series particularly it feels really unstructured it Mm. doesn't feel like we have a plot plan and we just need to fill in the details each week there's a whole range of stuff there's one very famous episode where it's just fletcher and godber in the cell all night yeah uh so that's obviously slightly you know yeah just like one scene and then Godber's only in three or four of the episodes of the first series. Like, one of the main stars, he's not in it. M- M- um, I think Mackay's in them all, but Barraclough mm. isn't. He's missing for a couple. Okay. They don't necessarily go, right, we've got to have the Mackay scene now. Right, we've got to have the Barraclough mm-hmm. scene now. Mm-hmm. I really think that's to its strength. And then you've got characters like, for example, Ives, Horrible Ives. Horrible Ives. Played by Ken Jones, who is in the first series, but again, only in three of the episodes, I think. Yeah, and then he's in this one, first series of first episode of series two, and he's never in it again. Oh, this is his last appearance. Yes, in this specific case, I think it was because Ken Jones was off making the Whackers and the okay. Squirrels at the time. This yeah. was really the peak of his career, so he probably was just too busy. He does come yeah. back for the film though, and I think they just really needed him in this episode because they needed that character for the court scene that we'll get to later on. Yeah, and in in later series. They bring in Ronald Lacey as the, that kind of yeah. nerk <laughs> character, but there's also Ronald this, Lacey plays Harris, who's a, a snivelling, a very you know. similar kind of character, yeah. different yeah. enough character that it's a different person, but the same hits the same kind of mm-hmm. plot points that we need to. And there's also a character in one of the characters where one of the David Jason episodes where Blanco mm. is in the hospital. The other guy who's in hospital with him is very similar character. Like you could easily put Ives yes. in that character. Yes. Well, I, we also see here one of the so we, in this scene we've got Ives. We also mm-hmm. have Warren, played by Sam Kelly, yeah, um, and and I I think he's a he's a sort of lovable heart of gold, but a bit stupid, yeah. And I think he's quite similar to Brian Glover's character in the first series, yes, yes. And I, I presume Brian Glover was doing something, yeah, better paid, but uh, but yeah, I think Sam Kelly's a good replacement for him. Well, I think he's much better. Like the the Brian Glover character yeah. is a bit of a one note joke where he's just. I, I, I didn't. I really didn't like the Brian Glover character. You know, the idea is he's stupid and he's not really paying attention, and he says something that's a bit of a non sequitur, and everybody looks at him and goes, "What hell's he on about?" And, yeah. and that's it. That's the joke. But that's it. It, it works twice, and then that's that's about yeah. it. Really. That's Whereas it. Warren, you know, he's he's a sort of daft, loyal friend, and yeah, he's got he's got a lot more to him. Yeah, I I, I think that as well. And this um, so, and Warren's in one episode of the first series the one where right. they're writing letters to the girlfriends oh, yes, of course, i yeah. think i think that's the one where he's introduced and so they obviously brought him in to be that character they needed some men who had wives you know yeah and then they brought him in as a regular character after that but that's what i mean that first series is much looser they're just bringing in characters here hither and thither mm. but they, they do carry that on i think we we start to get a bit more of a regular okay god burb bunny lukewarm uh, mm-hmm. But then you still get Blanco comes in for a couple of episodes. Genial mm-hmm. Harry Grouts in two episodes, three maybe. So Sam Kelly, of course, after this, not long after this, is in Hello, Hello. That's kind of what yes. he really remembers. That's where I know him from as a kid. 
Uh, but yeah, he's someone who's been in sitcom, you know, loads of mm-hmm. little odd, odd bits and pieces of sitcoms. Yeah. yeah, we've got we've got Eric Dodson as Mr. Banyard, who's only in two episodes. And he's a white collar criminal, isn't he? Yeah, they do this. They do it when with much greater intent in the next series when they have the judge, the judge. Yeah. Uh, character come in. And obviously, that's a much more specific thing to Fletch. But the, I think the idea is just to create a little bit of class conflict in it. Because I think in prison, mm. in general, most of these guys are working class and, you know, they're just sort of petty criminals for the sake of making a living, most of them. Yeah. And that helps us like them as people. Uh, to a, yeah. to a large extent, as opposed to someone who's perhaps a cold blooded murderer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then you, so then you get a character like this every now and then who's a bit posher and will kind of see himself as above them. And then you know, like, hang on, we're all in the same thing here. Yes. You know that. Yes. They don't do a lot with it in this episode, but it, they certainly play with it a lot more when we get. Uh, I think it's Morris Denham as the, as the judge That's later right. on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We get just to explain that in the in the later series, there's an episode where the judge who sentenced Fletcher to prison is is brought up on some bribery charges. So here, yes, we've also got the other con that we've got in this scene is is lukewarm, played by mm-hmm. Christopher Biggins. Yeah, who is sort of yeah again just in a few episodes each series. Mm-hmm. Still relatively young at this point, Christopher Biggins. He he actually appeared in two episodes of whatever happened to the Likely Lads. Yeah, uh, shortly before this, which was of course written by. Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. Yeah. That was yeah. um, well. The Likely Lads was their big their break. big thing that started their career. Yeah. Whatever happened to them was uh, a sequel. Um, he'd been in a few other episodes of sitcoms here and there. But I was I was going to ask you this. If I if I just ask you this straight question, what is Christopher Biggins famous? Rent a Ghost. That's what he is to you, is it? Rent a Ghost. Which, do you think if, that's your you age? Not, if you're not exactly my age, you probably don't even know what that is. That <laughs> was a that was basically a kids sitcom. In the early 80s, which was a, it was a haunted house. So there's these middle class couple who lived in a house and that there, there were ghosts who lived in the house with them. And oh, I suppose it's a bit like the new sitcom Ghosts. But, uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a kid's comedy. And Christopher Biggins played one of the ghosts. And that's, that's where I knew him from. You know, I saw him as uh, Nero in I, Claudius many years later. Yes, on, yes, yes. As repeated. And, you know, I thought, oh, oh, that's your man from rent ghost He must be an actor <laughs> as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, like, I'm too young for Rent-A-Ghost, I never saw that. So, for me, like, Christopher Biggins is just Christopher Biggins. Like, he is just, just a personality. A personality to some extent. Like, I don't know, Lionel Blair. I don't, like, I know Lionel Blair was, like, a dancer, theoretically, but I don't, I only know Lionel Blair as one, like... Lionel Blair, you know. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I do know what you mean, and and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't particularly like the Christopher Biggins character, as in, who mm-hmm. you know, who he is now, that, that sort of celebrity character. Yeah. You know, I'm not a fan. But I love him in this. I think he's great in this. I think he, the, his, his work here is good. There is definitely some stuff that doesn't play that well these days about homosexuality in prisons. Although it's actually, for its time... I think it's all very right. Tame, you know, very tame for its time. Yeah, I think... I, I'm not going to go so far as to call porridge progressive, but I think it's good of its time. You know, there's homophobia. There's a bit of homophobic language, but it's not... It's, it's, ne- it's never aggressive. Mm. You know, lukewarm, and we see another character called Gay Gordon... But they're oh, part sure. of the group, you know. They're 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 a welcome part of the group. They're not ostracised. Like we have we have McLaren, who's a, a black man, and he mm. is a violent black man. Mm. And so you think, well, there's a stereotype, you know. But they deal with that head on. We they, we deal they, they deal with it head it on. There's a he has a great arc in an episode where we learn a lot more about him, and there's an a, an element of redemption. And, mm. and you know, at the very at least he's there. You know, there weren't many black actors, black characters in sitcoms at that time, so. 
you know. And I, I think that's a very deliberate thing to, and like we were saying about their upper class characters there as well. Mm. In prison, we're all equal. Uh, yes. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. And we have to get, we have to muddle along with each other as best we can. And mm. certainly that's Fletcher. Fletcher is keep your nose clean and you do all right by me, I'll do all right by you kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so when we get the introduction of McLaren, as Tony Osoba's character is McLaren, he's having a real go at Fletch and Fletch has to, in a rare mm. moment for Fletch, actually gets hold of him and sort of like yeah. threatens him and says, don't mess with me, mate, because I can do it if, it if I need to. It's a good character moment, that. Yeah, yeah you see and, that Fletch is genial and he's 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 uh, collegiate and he's hmm. um, he's got charisma, Cowardly. but but he's, he's cowardly. He's Fletcher. He, like he doesn't want to get into yeah, a fight. Well, yeah, yeah, he avoids right. He's, <laughs> he's fight or flight. He he flies, you know. But he, but it's yeah. He shows us that he can fight if he needs to. Yeah, and it's great. And 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 what's nice about it is McLaren goes. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, it's yeah. okay. And because McLaren knows that he's just being aggressive for the sake of it. He's not really angry at Fletcher. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't got a problem with him. And that could just be an aggressive character. The fact that he's a, he's a mixed race then comes into that. They, the show acknowledges that he is treated differently because of that. Mm -hmm. He is treated differently by some people in society in general, in prison, by the screws. Mm. And he is viewed differently by the judicial system. And he's angry about it. And we know why he's angry about it. But they, yeah, they they make that part of his character, and and yeah. they they talk about it, and I think that's very yeah. very interesting. That's very even if, yeah, even if you get the odd line that you certainly wouldn't use today. Mm. But it's forty five years ago, you know. Yeah. So this scene, well, there's a bit of in terms of plot, we we now find out what Fletcher was looking for. There's a tin of pineapple chunks missing. He's nicked a pin, tin of pineapple chunks from the kitchen, and they've gone from his cell. So mm. he's he's mortified that there's a thief among us. And obviously, there's a you know we're all thieves, etc. But this is this scene. I mean, that's the, that's the plot. That's as far as the plot goes. But what I like about this scene is it's just it's just them interacting. You know, this, mm. the, the plot moves on a little bit, but it's really there's just lots of opportunities for Fletcher's cynical wisdom and mm. and his comic timing. It's it's great. It, it, it's just it really showcases what Ronnie Barker brings to this role. Yeah, and it's beautiful writing. You got all these mm. characters interplaying. It's what what I really got from this scene was how important that tin of pineapple chunks is. Yes. And that really sets us in this prison. Like that is not just a tin of pineapple chunks. That is a great luxury. He's gone to a great deal of trouble to steal it. And so the fact that someone's stolen it off him is absolutely outrageous. No honor among thieves. But apparently there is. There should be. <laughs> there should be. Yeah, you get a real sense of how their camaraderie works mm. and the sort of the unwritten rules that are there. Mm. But then you also get, right at the end, Fletcher and Nick's bunnies polos. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and that is such a fine balance to have a character who is somewhat immoral, but has a moral line, will steal from his friends, but you still like him. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's such yeah. a delicate balance and you need someone of the well, caliber of Ronnie yeah, Barker, I mean, the charisma a really of good Barker example there of, you know, the, the difficulty of this entire show, which is the criminals are the good guys and the prison officers are the, the bad guys. I mean, they're not, they're not great antagonists, but, but you know, we're on, the, we're on the cons, we're on the Nurk's side. Mm. And that's a, yeah, that is a difficult balance to strike. Like you say, it's not just, oh, well, he's stealing from the screws. That's all right. He's he's nicked his mate's polos, yeah. but he's doing it in a way that we're laughing at it. And and that is obviously excellent mm-hmm. writing. But you need also need someone who's really likable. Well, here is a word I have used many times in this in this series before, but charisma. Mm. 
Ronnie Barker, Fletcher has charisma. And that charisma goes a long way. Yeah, and I think one thing you can say for Porridge is just how perfectly cast it is. Yeah. And perhaps we can get into that a bit more when we get to Mackay and Barraclough. Let's sure. sit, let's wait until they turn up. Okay, so the next scene is a continuation, really. So we go from the, the four or five of the people on the landing talking about this. We go back to Fletcher's cell, but there's a big meeting. So there's, I don't know, there's like 10 or 12 cons all, all in the cell. Mm, and loads of there. extras. <laughs> yeah, lots of extras that we've never seen before or never see again. Uh, but also a lot of our supporting cast are there. And this is basically a little bit of a kangaroo court. So Fletcher opens up by saying, you know, everyone in this room had the means, motive and opportunity to steal these chunks. And, and you know, it becomes a little bit of an investigation and everyone's saying, well, it wasn't me. I was, I was doing this. And... Just to recap, um, I've established that the crime was committed during the 15 minutes before bang up last night. I was in a gym, working what? on my weights. Oh, yeah. I was playing ping pong with these two in Gay Gordon, mixed doubles. Oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> As you said earlier, McLaren turns up and he acts really aggressively. Anyway, there's a little bit of back and forth. And then Fletch says, I suggest what we all do is we just grab old vibes and extract a confession from him before the bell goes. So <laughs> Fletch has clearly decided that Ives is the guilty party. And because he seems, so often is. Because he so often is, yeah. And everyone seems perfectly happy to accept that because Apart he so often Ives. is. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's like brilliant. Ken Jones is such a, a sort of wormy, weaselly man. He's exactly. So, he's yeah, very yeah. good at that. Yeah. But yes, uh, Ives unfortunately has a pretty solid alibi. They're all happy that mm. it wasn't him. The question remains unresolved. So Ives has his alibi, and we don't know who's stolen these pineapple chunks because <gasps> Mackay's coming. And everyone has to sort of... Um, so the, the, the prearranged uh, excuse that they've got for all being in one cell together is that this is the first meeting of the Slade Prison Cowboy Club. So they all start singing uh, Home on the Range. We did miss as well that the, the lookout who comes to tell them Mackay's coming, Gay Gordon, is Felix Bonus. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, yes. <laughs> who I presume was the warm-up man. I could presume that, yeah. They're like, can you do a line for us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And and so, yes, Mackay, we get Mackay, Fulton Mackay, playing Mr. Mackay. There's a great gag from the song Home on a Range. Oh, home on a range. Well, do you, want to, do you want to talk about Fulton Mackay before we talk about the character? So talk about the actor sure. first. Yes. Well, could you tell me anything else he's ever done? Let me ask you that. Fraggle Rock. <laughs> he's in Fraggle Rock, is he? So rather like Rent-A-Ghost, I was a child of the 80s and I saw Fraggle Rock long before I saw Porridge. So I remember when Fraggle Rock... So Fraggle Rock, if you're not the right age, Fraggle Rock was basically a, a show produced by the Muppets people, the Henson mm. people. And it was set on an, a, a lighthouse on an island. And the lighthouse keeper was the only human there. And there were all these Muppet Fraggles who lived there as well. Right, yeah. And the lighthouse keeper was Fulton Mackay. Fulton Mackay from Porridge. I've never seen Porridge. So, <laughs> you know, he was the guy from Braggle Rock for me. But that's it. I got nothing else. <laughs> that's interesting. I, 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 I mean, I vaguely remember Fraggle Rock, but certainly not any detail about it. Yeah, and he's not famous for anything else, basically. You know, this is certainly what he's known for. And I think, you know, in my mind, this is what he is. I just assume he's like this all the time because he's so identified yeah. with this role. From everything I've read about him, he was very specific about everything he did. Every move 
was thought mm. out and planned and rehearsed. And it's there, you know. I think Mackay, perhaps alongside genial Harry Grout, are the closest to proper kind of comedy characters. They're like caricatures. Mm. They they isn't mm. that much as much reality to it. But yeah. even that, like the Mackay performance, you know, with a different actor, could come across as really over the top and hammy. Mm. And I think it gets away with it partly because you've never seen him in anything else or, you know, you're not mm. associated with anything else. So you're not thinking, oh, this is what he's like normally. And this is him doing this really over the top character. Yeah. It, it has a, it still manages to have this natural sense to it. Well, funnily enough, the, the comparison that I made was with Windsor Davis in It Ain't Our Fault, Mum, mm, yes. which is an over the top hammy characterization. Yeah. And, and once I'd got that in my head, in comparison... Well, Mackay seems like a fully rounded character, <laughs> you know. So, so I, I, yeah, I think I'm probably a little more uh, forgiving than you were. I think it works. It's just, yeah, it's you know, it's like the, he's always talking out the side of the mouth. He does the little sort of pigeon neck thing mm-hmm. that he does, and then, you know, the intonation of his voice, like, will just suddenly raise up an octave <laughs> for uh-huh. one word, and it's sort of like on paper that feels really over the top, and it's bearing it gets is, away is, with it. You know, it's comical, but. You know, the, the, the character's ex-military and, mm. you know, he was a sergeant major. So that's how sergeant majors behave. So he's not portraying a prison officer. He's portraying a sergeant major who is now having to work in a prison. Mm. And yes, it's a, it's a caricature of a sergeant major rather than the caricature of a prison officer. So Fulton Mackay, you know, fairly typical story, served during the Second World War. Served in India as well, which made that that made me think of um, Windsor Davis in uh, Ain't Our Fault Mum. Yeah, and uh, yeah, went to Rada afterwards and started working in the theatre. The odd TV appearance, you know, that sort of thing. More of a stage actor, yeah. I think, than anything else. Uh-huh. And this was his most prominent work. And you know, when this started, he was already in his fifties. You know, so he did. Um, He's a couple of episodes of Dad's Army, you know, little bits and pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. He did a sitcom in 1985 called Man's Best Friends, in which he okay. is the lead, uh, which I've that. seen a little bit of. I've got it, actually. I haven't watched it all. I've watched one or two episodes, and it's not great. And, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's got the charisma to carry a show. So what is that? Is that I'm presuming it's about a dog. <laughs> he becomes the new manager of a guest house, and, like, he has to whip them into shape because he's, like, a sergeant right. major kind of vibe, and they're all useless, <laughs> and, and it's... But his name is Man, oh my M-A-N-N, hence Man's Best Friends, you see? Oh, why, do, why do they do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry, he's not Man. The, the, the person who owns the place is Man. He, he's the guy who comes in. He's, the, he's his best friend. And Bernard Breslau's in it. It's making me think of Royal Pain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that yeah, Fulton Mackay and and died quite young, relatively speaking. Right. Uh, I think he had stomach cancer. Oh, uh, so he died in 1987. So he would have been 64 oh, right. then. So you know, I'm not I'm not saying he would have had that much of a career. That's no age. That. It's these no these age, days is not these days. But yeah, that's everything I've heard that he was very meticulous in his his rehearsal would take up the entire rehearsal doing his three minute scene if he could if they let him <laughs> and but then right, was like right. a metronome you know the way he intoned it once he was happy with it that it would be like that yeah. every time and so they knew exactly where he was going to be and what he was going to say and all and i think that really works for the timing obviously ronnie barker timing is immaculate yes uh, you know richard beckinsale seems to be spot on with all that stuff as well but apparently, he as a person was a real like a bit of a hippie. He was very spiritual. This is what um, really? 
Dick Clement was saying, really spiritual and was like into meditation and stuff like that. Interesting. That doesn't seem right, does it? <laughs> it doesn't well, no, seem to but, fit. No. But, but again, that's because this is the only role you know him for. You know, <laughs> like Ronnie Barker, you, you've seen him do so many different things. You, like we said, we don't know who he is. Yeah. With, with uh, Fulton Mackay, all you know is this role. I think the only thing I, other thing I've seen him in is a film called Water, which is perhaps something we could do. Is we that could... a Billy Connolly film? Yes. Yes. Well, he's in it, yes. But that's perhaps something we could look at at some point as a kind of okay. spin-off-y thing, because that was written by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen it. I just remember it being a Billy Connolly thing. And Fulton Mackay plays like the alcoholic priest, I think he is, who's there. So it's just a bit of comic relief in this what is okay. a comedy film. So, yes. Mr. Mackay is certainly, you can't imagine him being well, yeah, played Well, yeah, let's talk about the character, Mr. Mackay. So, you know, he's ex-military. You know, as we said, he's, he's quite comical in his bearing. I, I think he's very brittle in, in that he's in control, but as soon as there's any challenge to his authority, he doesn't roll with it. You know, he reacts really, he's brittle, mm-hmm. brittle. Yeah. You know, him and him and Fletcher have this great relationship and we see it here in this in this scene where they're sort of circling each other like lions, you know, they're sort of worthy adversaries of each other. But Fletcher always has the upper hand. Always <laughs> has the upper hand. Yeah. This is an unlawful assembly, Fletcher. Prison regulations clearly state that not more than three prisoners will at any time congregate in a cell. Oh, well there you have the advantage of me, Mr. McKay. You see, try as I might, I've been unable to obtain a copy of the current Home Office regulations. On your feet, Fletcher! Uh, on your feet, the lot of you! <laughs> Mackay sometimes appears very naive because of that. There's, a, there's a, another episode where there's a tunnel. There's a tunnel being dug. Yeah. And um, Mackay, he's had a drink, hasn't he? He's had a few drinks. It's he comes into the hospital. <laughs> That's Christmas, yeah. He comes into the hospital where Fletcher is. And, and he's sort of, come on, Fletcher, you can tell me, you can tell me. We have an understanding, you and me. And, and you know, there is. There is an understanding between them. But Fletcher understands it much better than Mackay does. <laughs> and, he, in, you know, that scene, as in all the others, he gets one over on him. Yes, and I think that's obviously a great dynamic. One of them has the upper hand, but the other one has all the power uh, in, in any yes. sort of real sense. All Fletch has is the ability to undermine power. That's That's all mm-hmm. he has. And there is a mutual respect between them. You know, Mackay Definitely. understands that Fletcher isn't the problem in his prison. He isn't the one he has to worry about. But yeah. he also doesn't like him getting away with his little schemes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just needles yes. him. So he, he can't quite let it, he can't just let it go. Which I think with Mr. Barraclough, he is much more lenient to Fletcher and it will let a lot mm. of things go because well, he knows yeah. Fletcher generally is a really good inmate uh, and yes. is no trouble. We'll come back to we'll come back to Barraclough. Yes, yeah, so obviously we'll see that in this scene. A couple of other things on Mackay, which I, I noted: incredible moustache. <laughs> how do you get? How do you I, how do you trim just the top part of your lip? I've never been able to do that. He has got he has got it. Well, it looks it's like along his top of his lip. It's so thin, <laughs> beyond the realms of physics. <laughs> Hair doesn't do that. <laughs> exactly. The how other thing get? is the other thing that interested me was. Um, on his prison officer uniform, Mackay is very clearly wearing some military medal ribbons. All right. So, so two things. Number one, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that you could wear your military medals on a prison officer uniform. I wonder. I, well, I, I bet you still you can't now. But I, I, that must have been a fairly common career path for people who'd fought in the war. Yeah. And if you've got medals, and, you can wear yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. So he's wearing the ribbons all the time. He's got those ribbons on his uh, on his chest. And I actually recognized one, which is a general service medal, which is basically what everybody gets. So I then like zoomed in and I'm like, what are these medals? What are these medals? I'm trying to work out what it is. 
So he's got three. So there's the General Service Medal. Then there's the Korea Medal, which is everybody who served in the Korean War. Okay. And I couldn't, I couldn't place the last one. I'm looking on Wikipedia about different British medals. Every, I'm trying to get the colour scheme. Couldn't figure it out. Anyway, it turns out about 150 people have written on the internet about what Fulton Mackay's medals are. <laughs> so so uh, I'm not revealing anything here. So it was the General Service Medal, the Career Medal, and it's the United Nations Career Medal. So he'd obviously served in the U- for the UN as a, mm. as a soldier as well as just... As, as, I wonder how much thought was put into well. that and by whom. If that was a writer's choice or just a set designer or just a random yeah. medal they put on. <laughs> no, they're not random medals. I mean, that's a good backstory. That, that's yeah. a backstory that we never hear in, in dialogue. We, we, we never have that explained to us but he fought in the korean war mm. and that's there for us all to see so that i i, I like that i like that depth mm. uh i hadn't even noticed that he was wearing medals it <laughs> says, <laughs> says a lot like it's, a, it's a deep cut it's a deep, <laughs> that's what it like. but the, just to speak of Mackay, we what we get in this scene after godber turns up we'll we'll get to godber in a second Mackay mm-hmm. gets a laugh with a head movement mm. uh, godber says something to him and he kind of does a thing and ronnie barker does it in, the, in a previous scene where he reacts to something that Ives has said, and it's just a look, it's a reaction to what someone else has said, and that's what gets the laugh. And it's just like, that's, yes. put the two of them together. It's like, it's no wonder yeah. how, it's, it's, that is com- comedic acting. If you can get a laugh with a head yes. movement. Yes. <laughs> that's pretty good. Especially when he does that head movement pretty much every time he speaks. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. that, but that one bit of timing just makes it work. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. stuff. And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week. Don't worry, though, we'll be back again next Thursday where we can pick up this story where we've left it. Thank you very much for listening. If you would like to get in touch, we are on the socials. We are at BritcomPod on Twitter and Instagram. We have a Facebook page. You just search for British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find it. Same goes for YouTube, where you can watch these audio podcasts with the video enhancements, so see some of the clips from the show. Do get involved with the conversation and tell us how you feel about porridge. I think we're making our feelings pretty clear. And we will see you again next time. 